Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. In the grim darkness of the future, there is only wacky gags. This week, we're taking a jaunt into Radiation World by Saster and Saster Productions out of Santa Fe, New Mexico. And then, I'll talk to the Sasters themselves, Hadi Rai and Saib Simran Khalsa. All that is coming up on Radio Drama Revival. Hey, it's good to have you here, listener. This is Radio Drama Revival, the podcast dedicated to showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. This week, we're playing Episode 1 of Radiation World, a show in which humanity has been living in bunkers for thousands of years, waiting out the horrible catastrophe that forced them underground. But when strangers come to the Ritz-Carlton, one of the last remaining bunkers, they reveal that the outside world is not at all what it seems to be. It is, how you say, very silly. Radiation World has a very broad comic sensibility. The characters are kind of dumb, but the women behind it are sharp as tacks. Saib Simran and Hari Rai Khalsa, whom I'll be talking to later in the show. A little warning before we get into this first episode. This piece is probably not for kids. It's not explicit, per se, but it contains the sex joke equivalent of a jump scare. With all that in mind... Let's get to listening. Settle back, get comfy, pour yourself some banana-flavored mush, and enjoy episode one of Radiation World, The Visitors. April 1st, 5177. 0714 minutes. President's log number 726,943. Morale remains low. This morning we lost Racco, age 56. Oldest member is now Oring, age 53. Youngest remains Elvis, who turns seven next week. Total bunker population is down to 43. The situation is growing untenable. Orin is quite old and Titus remains gravely ill. We cannot sustainably maintain the Ritz-Carlton below population 40 and still no pregnancies in sight. In an emergency repopulation effort, I am initiating Operation Babymaker. I fear, however, this may be the beginning of the end. End log. You want steak flavor or banana flavor? Oh, um... You don't have any of the peas flavor? Only two flavors today. Well, if we're all going to die, I'd really like to have peas before we go. Steak or banana, YOLO? Well, banana, I suppose. It all tastes the same anyway. Next! YOLO, over here. Hey, Cracker Jack. Ah, breakfast. Favorite time of the day. How's it going in your division? Oh, you know... Terrible, as usual. Still all going to die. Ah, well, what can you do? On the bright side, President's got a new crackpot idea to try and save us, though. Oh, yeah? What's that? More sex. (sighs) I think we're all doing fine there, don't you? (sighs) Not much else to pass the time. Yeah, but where are all the kids? Huh. Anyway, he's got us uh, installing some... Encouraging nudges, so to speak. How's that? Oh, you'll see. 
It's motion activated, my idea. How's caring? Ah, same, same. The peas machine is broken. I noticed. Huh. I've been thinking, CJ. Do you ever wonder? Yeah. What's all this for? What's it mean? What's the point, really? Does any of it matter? You got me. Well, I suppose we better down this slop and get back to work, eh? Bottoms up. Mmm, slimy. We'll see you later, YOLO. Bye. Every corner. That's right. And don't forget the pillows and curtains. President Tank. Sir. What is it, Hammersmith? We were just... It's, uh, uh, we were... Sit down, catch your breath, and then tell me what's wrong. It was, uh, just a routine security check, sir. We saw something. Saw something? On camera three, sir. Oh, of course, camera three. That's the one with the... The one overlooking the bay, sir. Uh, of course, of course. Uh, what did you see? We, we saw... Yes. It, it was uh -huh. a, a big... What? White... What? Ship. <gasps> Are you sure? Silence! Tell us more, Hammersmith. We saw it on the camera. The boat came into the bay. Uh, a big fancy one. Just like the pictures from the old days. It stopped right below the Ritz. A hatch opened in the, in the top and... What happened? They came out. Who did? People, sir. Real, honest-to-goodness people. With proper clothes and everything. <gasps> Quiet! What do we do, sir? What do we do? Why? The only thing we can do. You don't mean... It's been 64 years since we last opened our door. Mark your calendars, folks. This is an historic day. Today, it will open again. Uh, sir? What is it? I, uh, I don't have a calendar. It's all so quiet. Too quiet. You could almost imagine none of it had ever happened. That this is the world. <laughs> Don't be fooled, Piper. This is no paradise. Keep your eyes open. Stay on your toes. Look sharp. Eat your vegetables. Barnaby! Uh, yes, Captain? What's the Geiger reading? 6.4 micro, sir. We're clear. Excellent. All right, everyone. Listen up. The time has come, and now is the time. You know what to do, and now is the time to do it. You are all excellent at doing what you do, so let's do it now! Are you ready? Who's with me? What is it, Piper? I think I see something. Huh? What? Where? Who? Just there. Right beyond the trees. Looks like concrete and maybe an antenna. I think it might be one of the old bunkers. Ooh, well, I'll be... All right, everyone, forget everything I just said. Now is not the time to do what you are supposed to do. Instead, we are going to do something else. We are going to investigate that there bunker. Are you ready? Who's with me? Yeah! Load up the boats. What are they doing? They seem to be... They boarded the rowboats, and they're coming to shore. How many? Two boats. Looks like eight people total, sir. Excellent. Eight brand new DNA specimens. They're climbing up the bank. It, it looks like they're coming toward the Ritz, sir. And we'll be ready for them. Prepare the guns, Hammersmith. Yes, sir. It is an old bunker! Amazing! 
This must be one of the last ones still standing. There's probably all sorts of useful supplies inside. Yeah, but how do we get in? Does anyone see a door? If there was a door, it wouldn't be a very good bunker. You think there's anyone still here? No way. Even the oldest bunkers must have collapsed centuries ago. Did you see that? What? What is it? Something's moving. There. It's a surveillance camera and a... A gun! Oh, um, all right, everyone. Just put your hands up and stay calm. Leave the talking to me. Greetings, citizens. Uh, you think they can hear me? How do we tell? I'll try louder. We mean you no harm! I don't think that's helping. Maybe if I sign it to them. Greetings, strangers. Whoa, did you, you bring us much surprise. <gasps> Holy shit. You are unknown and unwelcome. Wait, what did he say? This is the Ritz-Carlton, and the Ritz-Carlton has only one way to deal with strangers. I don't like the sound of that. Goodbye, strangers. Prepare to meet your doom. They're training the guns on us. Three. Captain. Two. What do we do? What the? <laughs> Is this confetti? We're opening the doors, friends. This is a happy, historic day for the Ritz-Carlton, for humanity, and the world! Are you alright, Captain? We're safe now, you know. Was it the loud noise that frightened you? No, just, what is it? I just hate this stupid song! Welcome to the Ritz-Carlton, friends. The excitement we feel in having you here is simply beyond words. Absolutely beyond words. <gasps> the Ritz has been through a rough period as of late. And you bring in a breath of fresh air. Fresh, fresh air. Your coming is oh. anticipated. Uh. Of course, we have so many questions we'd like to ask you, and you undoubtedly have some for us as well. Uh, yes, uh, what? Ah, uh, here we are, my personal office. Oh, your personal office sure has a lot of pillows and pretty ladies. Please, take a seat, relax, make yourself at home. Kick back, take your shoes off. Can we interest you in any refreshments? Oh, a, a spot of wine would be lovely if you've got it. Terribly sorry, I'm afraid we haven't. Do oh. you have any biscuits? Well, no. Uh, how about steak? We do have steak. Oh, lovely. Oh, okay. Flavored mush. Uh, Never mind. Uh, let's forget refreshments and just Get down to business. Oh, business. Business can wait, can't it? You all must be tired and... My, isn't it warm in here? Those clothes sure look hot and restrictive. Why don't you just slip out of them? Oh, uh, um, well, yeah, I, I suppose it is rather warm, isn't it? I guess I'll just... Oh, mm, that's impressive. You know you have beautiful eyes. Excuse me? Samantha. Doesn't he have beautiful eyes? <laughs> oh. Maybe you'd like to go behind that curtain over there and give Samantha here a closer look, Captain. What do you say? Um, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't Or how quite... about you, sir? There's a lovely lady over there who's just waiting for a package delivery, if you know what I mean. I, uh, uh... I really think we have more important things to be discussing, Mr. President. Oh, there's plenty of time for that later on. What's the hurry? Well, for starters... Shh. Really, I... Don't worry about it. Sir, I... You know, you have all the loveliest tans. Really, I've never seen such a fascinating range of... Dark. How do you do it? Uh, we, um, we're... Sunshine. <laughs> Sunshine? Where do you get it? From the sun. Uh -huh. oh, the sun? 
What sun? Uh, you know, the sun. But how? I, I don't understand. Where are you from? Uh, can we, uh, uh, can we put our clothes back on now? Oh, all right. Ladies, back to your posts. All right, tell us. Barnaby, you're the historian. Want to explain? Well, I, I guess you must not know this, but uh, not everyone stayed in bunkers after the accident. <gasps> At first they did, of course, but eventually a group of people managed to escape to the islands where the radiation wasn't so bad. They built a new world there. It's small, of course, but it's just like the old days. No bunkers, nothing. Incredible. You have cities? Absolutely. And real food? All kinds. And you just live out in the open like they used to? Out in the fresh air. <sighs> you don't have to stay in the bunker anymore, you know. We took a reading on the way in. It's perfectly livable. Radiation levels are even lower than they were before the accident. It, it's not the radiation. It's the problem. It's... What do you mean? What is it? It's the wild. The wild? After the accident, things went a little crazy. You can imagine, I'm sure. With that level of radiation forcing so many mutations in such a short time, well, let's just say evolution took a rapid turn to the dark side. You must have escaped it on the islands, but here, giant beasts, intelligent plants, these places were built to keep the radiation out. But these days, it's the side effects they protect us from. No, that doesn't sound very good. It'll be fine. Can you tell us more about the land around here? Well, we... No, I'm afraid we can't. As I mentioned, none of us have ever been outside of it. Then how do you know what's out there? Stories. Legends. From earlier. And you haven't even been outside to check whether or not they're true? Oh, oh, they're true, all right. We've seen some things out of the security cameras that will make your stomach turn. Why do you have security cameras if no one ever goes outside? To, just to keep an eye on things, I suppose. Worked out for you, Ronnie, didn't it? Now, look, haven't you got any maps or books or anything that could give us a clearer picture of what's out there? A map? Whatever for? Why are you so interested in learning about the wild? We're on a mission. A mission? And we need to go through the wild to complete it. Through the wild? Are you insane? You'll never make it back alive. Not even a chance. What could you possibly want out there? We can provide you with anything you need. The whole bunker is yours. It's the least we can do for our rescuers. Your rescuers? rescuers? That's what you're here for, right? To rescue us? Rescue you how? By impregnating all the women of the Ritz-Carlton with your virile foreign seed, of course. <laughs> what? 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 No, forget that plan. To take us back to civilization. Uh, oh, right. I, I suppose that makes more sense. Look, we're here on a mission. We just happened to see your bunker as we came up. And we need your help. If you're asking us to take you into the wild, then I'm sorry. We can't help you. Well, I'm sorry to say that if you want us to take you back, you're going to have to help us through the wild. Is that a threat? It's an offer. So, what'll it be? <laughs> oh, all right. It's a deal. What do we need to do? All right, quiet down, everyone, and listen up. We've gathered you all here for an important and historic occasion. <gasps> As you can see, we have some newcomers with us. Hello. Hi. They've traveled a long way to come here, and it is my great pleasure uh, oh. to introduce them to uh. you. Uh, all right, all right. Can we turn that thing off? Oh, sorry, Mr. President. It's motion activated. Oh. As I was saying... Where did they come from? Are they going to rescue us? We're getting to that. Captain Thompson and his crew come from a place where there are no bunkers. No wild. 
Just fresh air and sunshine. And a world just like it used to be in ancient days before the accident. And they are going to take us back with them. On one condition. We're going to assist them on a very dangerous mission. A mission into the wild. Silence! You want us to go into the wild? What's the mission? Friends, I understand your concern. Our mission is to retrieve something. It is at the top of a mountain that lies east of here. In order to achieve this, we are going to send two individuals. One from our boat and one from the Ritz-Carlton. That way, there will still be backup available should anything uh, go wrong. To make this fair, we are all going to draw straws. Should you draw the short straw, you must go. The future of all of us rests on your shoulders. We will start with the boat. Ready? Yes, sir. All right. Here goes. Barnaby. Scarborough. Red Eye. Piper. It's me. On to the Rich Carlton. There are a lot more of you, so let's try and keep this snappy. Ready? Okay. You, sir? No. Uh, you? No. Okay. No. 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 Uh huh. Safe. Good. Fine. Lovely. Brilliant. All right. Okay. No. I guess that's me. Indeed it is. What's your name, soldier? My name's Yolo, but I'm not a soldier. You are now Yolo and Piper, our two brave soldiers. Hurrah! We do not know what trials may await you outside those doors, but we will do for you what we can. We've found this in the archives. This map dates about 400 years back, but it may be useful nonetheless. Here are some radios which will allow you to keep us updated on your progress and let us know if you need help. So we just go and get this thing and come back again? Is that it? That's right. Shouldn't be too hard. Oh, yes, there is one tiny thing I forgot to mention. What? The ship we came in on. Its power is generated by a nuclear core which continues degrading. It is, in fact, degrading this very moment as it sits in the bay. We have exactly one week's worth of power in that boat. If if you are not back by then, well, I'm afraid we are all doomed to remain here for eternity. Right. <laughs> no pressure. Just try to relax and have fun. Think of it as a special outing. Into certain death. Oh, it is a certain death. Don't worry, YOLO. I've got you. Open the doors! Off you go now. Godspeed. Go, Jessica. Stay safe. Stay warm. Don't do anything either. Chins up. Chests out. And whatever you do, stay alert. Cheerio. Don't die. What do we do now? What can we do but watch and wait and wish? Well, what do you say we get raging drunk and make ghost noises into the loudspeakers? Sounds bloody marvelous. (laughs) (laughs) And that was episode one of Radiation World by Saster and Saster Productions. I had a chance to talk to the two of them a few weeks ago, and we had a marvelous chat about writing, design, and the semi-inevitable robot apocalypse. Let's have a listen, shall we? Saib Simran and Hari Rai, welcome to Radio Drama Revival. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. We're so glad to be here. It's a pleasure to be here. So for for the benefit of the listeners, um, at least when we first get started with some of these questions, uh, before you answer them, just say, you know, this is Saib Simran or... This, this is Hari Rai, just because, you, as you've said, your voices are pretty similar. We are exactly the same person. 
<laughs> separated by space and time only. So where am I talking to the two of you from today? Where, where are you both situated in space? So I'm in Ashland, Oregon right now. I'm doing, I'm doing an assistant position with the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. So I'm doing okay. assistant sound design and engineering for them. And that was Saib Simran. Right, that was Saib Simran. <laughs> Remember that one time you gave me a note? <laughs> <laughs> so I, Hedy Rai, am, uh, uh, I'm in Santa Fe, New Mexico right now. Um, and this is where we have mostly been based. This is actually where we recorded the whole show and where uh, this is where we call home when Saibi's not off doing super exciting things at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. <laughs> So how's Oregon? It is, it's actually wonderful. I love it here. Yeah? Yeah. Coming from the desert, it's, it's wet. Green. It's green. Moist. Everything is green. <laughs> there are plants everywhere. Um, but it's really, it's really great being here. Um, the, the theater company is fantastic and I'm having an awesome time. I'm here until August and then I go back to New Mexico to start work on season two. So you both are you both are globetrotters. We are from from the research yeah. that I did. You've had all sorts <laughs> of adventures. Did you both go to Did you both go to England together? Well, Hari Rai, you were getting your masters at Oxford. Yeah, or? we we have spent time there together. Actually, the way I got to Oxford to begin with, this is Hari Rai speaking, by the way. Saib <laughs> um, uh, Simran and I took a trip, just like a a vacation trip uh, through England. It was really short. It was a whirlwind, just kind of stopping one day, one night in a bunch of different places. And we'd never been to Oxford before. Uh, so we decided to to stop by and we were just kind of wandering around looking at all these really cool old buildings and this whole, you know, it has this grand academic atmosphere. And it's kind of joking about, oh, I wonder what it would have been like to have gone to Oxford. Like that, <laughs> that must be an interesting experience. Sure. <laughs> um, and then a few months later, uh, I found myself uh, just kind of searching for whether or not Oxford had a master's in creative writing. Suddenly, I was in Oxford six months later. That's awesome. Uh, so that was pretty fun. Um, and then Saib Simran did come visit me a couple of times while I was there. She came for my kind of end of program reading and everything, which was which was fun. But yeah, I was the one who was actually in school there. What What did your portfolio become after after Oxford, what sort of, what sort of fiction do you primarily, I, I shouldn't even presume to say fiction, what sort of writing <laughs> besides audio theater do you, do you focus on? Well, that's the thing is that Oxford is what turned us into audio theater people. Um, because until I went over there, I actually had no idea that, that radio drama was still a thing that existed in the world that people actually listened to. Right. Um, so before Oxford, I was mostly a prose writer. I had done novels, um, like novels and short stories mainly. Um, but I knew that the Oxford program, like one of their big focuses is working in lots of different formats and genres. And uh, especially in year one, you are not only encouraged, but required to kind of play around. And if you're not, if you haven't done poetry before, try poetry. If you haven't done theater before, do some theater, screenwriting, all of that. And that was one of the things I, that really drew me to the program. I thought that that was really cool. And I was excited to try some things I hadn't seen before or that I hadn't tried writing before. But then I got my little course packet in the mail before I was ready to head over there. And I was kind of looking through the schedule for what we were going to be doing in our first residence there. And there's this whole section on radio drama. And I was like, what? <laughs> why, why are we doing a section on radio drama? Like no one has listened to radio drama since, I don't know, 1975 or something. Like it, it seemed really irrelevant because I don't know, growing up in the States, um, I, I mean, I didn't know about all of the audio drama that is now totally making a comeback on uh, podcasting and whatnot. So it was just really not on my radar. So anyway, then I went over to England and I discovered that in England, it's still a huge thing. Tons still of people a huge listen deal. to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the BBC is making tons of it. It's super popular. There's lots of people writing for it. It's actually a great way to uh, start writing for the BBC. Um, just it's easier as a... As a new writer, there's like a few more radio slots available than, say, you know, trying to get in on a television show. And uh, so I discovered, A, that it totally was still relevant, and B, that it was really, really, really fun, and I loved it. And because Saib Simran was doing sound design, I actually started writing Radiation World as a as a as a, just a project for the two of us, like a fun little thing where I would I would get to just try, you know, I would get to write this uh, radio script and she could have fun kind of putting it together with the sound and we weren't going to do anything with it other than just, again, a fun project for the two of us. Sure. Uh, until we actually did episode one and then it was like, 
maybe we should actually just make the whole show. <laughs> and uh, so do you, the thing. you went ahead and you, you cast everything for episode one with the cast that currently exists, or was it the two of you doing all the voices and then you decided to go back? We'd kind of yeah. I had written the episode way before we actually came back and decided to make the rest of the show. I think it was my birthday present. Yeah, I was like, uh, here, have a script that you can play with and cast some friends <laughs> or something. But we never got that far. Um, we kind of played around with some sound effects and whatnot. Um, and then we decided to make an earnest effort to actually produce the show. And that's when we, you know, put out the whole casting call, got the actors in, and and here we are a season <laughs> later. <laughs> cool. Side Simran, when you were studying sound design, were you thinking more in terms of theatrical sound design or film sound design? What was the... What was the goal for you? My intro to sound design was definitely theatrical sound design, and I still I still love theatrical sound design. I think there's a lot that can happen there that isn't necessarily happening. Um, so that that is still something that totally excites me. I haven't done a whole lot of work with film, um, and I'm loving audio drama so far. Obviously, mm-hmm. I, this is this is new for both of us, I think, but. I would say theatrical is my focus, and audio drama comes in a close, probably the same. It's a tie. It's a tie. Sure. <laughs> so, so do most most of your sound effects come from freesound.org? A lot of my sound effects do uh, come from Freesound because it was a resource I had at my fingertips. Sure. I do make some myself um, in the studio. We sit around splashing little bowls of water and stirring things around and uh whatnot love fully so yeah, fun it is so fun <laughs> well there's just someone getting a wound washed out right. in episode two and uh hard to really find a sound effect for that right. that really sounds in any way like not someone just running the water in a bathtub which is what i think they all are <laughs> on the internet yep. um so yeah i i was laughing the whole time because i'm sitting there pretending to like i, I really got into it for a minute i was really she did. pretending to be washing out my arm and she was fully bathing her arms like in a closet in our in our apartment that's hilarious um it was fun <laughs> it was probably late at night i don't remember but we had a lot of we're the funniest people in the world to ourselves <laughs> um so it's really hard to get anything done when we're in a room together because there's a lot of laughter that's really that's really funny when when uh, when I used to have a radio show in in college with two of my best friends, we would always you know if we were in the studio we would just very pointedly be looking away from one another during the credits because <laughs> there was no there was no way. Yep. there was this one PSA that we used to have to read um, for it was a Smokey the Bear fire prevention PSA and. It was something about, like, in order to fully extinguish a fire when camping, um, you had to drown the fire, stir it with a shovel, and then drown it again. And that was a very difficult... <laughs> right, like, you can't... How do you say that? Just, like, with a straight face? Um, uh, it, was, it was rough. That's good, that's good. There were, there were other... I think they just selected these... The station management just selected these PSAs because they knew that they would make college kids laugh. There was one about weight loss that was like, where did my butt go? Oh, it must have been all that walking, you know. And that was also very hard for like 19-year-old me to get through. That's impossible. Yeah, Yeah. I feel your pain. I really do. So this is is your first experience doing sound, like radio style stuff at all. It is. That's awesome. I mean, I I think the show is very, it's very clear. It's very accessible. It's very broad. Uh, I really like the the broad comic (laughs) style. Uh, And before we get to influences, I wanted to talk about what what is it about apocalypse narrative that attracts both of you? You know, that's a good question. This is Hedy Rai speaking, by the way. I don't necessarily know that it started with the apocalypse. It actually started with the whole concept of a of a mutated like a mutated jungle land. Mm-hmm. Um I'll go ahead and just name influences because it came up. Um, by far, our number one biggest influence is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And that is that, I mean, I was well aware of and had listened to many times um, before before getting to Oxford. It's just that it's older. So, I, yeah, that's why I didn't realize they were still kind of making shows like that. Um, but I absolutely love every version of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We should, we should say for the benefit of our listeners that you're talking about the original radio drama from the 70s. Yes, 
Yes, exactly. As, as well Sorry. as the books. The original Raider the Joma. As well as the books. Um, the like series. many people, I read the books first uh, without without knowing. A lot of people don't I know had that no it idea. started as a radio drum. Yeah. Um, and that's always, I mean, it's not surprising to me because I, I didn't know that either. But it is it is a shame because the radio show is so, so good. It's so funny. And there's so many kind of hilarious little side storylines that didn't make it into the novels um, or into the movie. I actually haven't seen the TV show, so I don't know. Um, it was it was really one of those things where you're kind of just joking around after lunch one day and we're kind of laughing about, oh, wouldn't it be hilarious if this and wouldn't it be hilarious if this? And somehow we got on the subject of uh, how hilarious it would be to have a show like The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is funny because we ended up in a very different direction, but this is how it started. <laughs> Uh, a show like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where you're having um, just kind of random, hilarious adventures around space. Um, and that's one of the things about the Hitchhiker's Guide is, I mean, the linearity of it is not necessarily super important. Sure. Uh, there are things that kind of follow off of other things, but mainly it's just each hilarious adventure in space. It's its own hilarious adventure in space. And then they kind of start to tie into each other in a nonlinear way, which makes it really fun. Um but that kind of idea of just these really ridiculous uh, scenarios where it's just the whole concept of the thing is over the top. Um, we thought the idea of kind of wilderness in which everything had mutated beyond anything recognizable and you would have talking super intelligent plants and, uh, you know, we had these, we had the, a concept for uh, like a crazy bird that was super overprotective of it would like capture our heroes and not let them leave because it was overprotective of them and wanted them to like put their jackets on and stuff, you know, like that kind of silly so it was like scenario a of that, gags that kind of animated. Okay, exactly. The very existence of the of the situation is the joke. Um, that was kind of the starting point, and then uh, the apocalypse just kind of, you know, that that was that kind of came about because. In order to have a like a super radiated, <laughs> mutated jungle land, we needed some kind of nuclear disaster to explain sure. it. Um, and then we started making the show, and of course, as things often go, it ended up like a completely different beast from what we thought we were originally setting out to make. And that was its own kind of super fun adventure. Um, yeah. So, Hadi Rai, I read I read an article you wrote in 2012 where you describe the human population as the pl of the planet as, quote, bumping <laughs> up against the ceiling of Earth's carrying capacity. And, and you strike a pretty hopeful yeah. tone in the article, but on a scale from 1 to 10, where 1 is just fine and 10 is like the fate of Atlantis, how <laughs> doomed are we, basically? Well, it's funny that you ask this, because my answer in 2012 would be very different from my answer today mm -hmm. for a few different reasons. Um, but in 2012, I was pretty kind of obsessed with the idea of global overpopulation. Um, in undergrad, I did a course, I, I was an anthropology major, and I had done this anthropology course that was, um, I believe, literally called the Anthropology of Disaster. It might not have actually been called that, but basically, uh, the premise of the course was that we, every week we met for three hours and we kind of discussed one possible apocalypse. <laughs> and this is maybe where the apocalypse thing started, okay. but um, we kind of, and it was, it was interesting. We were pulling from kind of historical accounts of these disasters and how they'd been represented throughout cultures, but also possibilities for these kind of future disasters. It was like, it was a very interdisciplinary course. It was really fascinating. But so, you know, one week we were talking about volcanoes the whole time and the power of fire and, uh, you know, the whole idea of, of, of a burning apocalypse. Then one week we were talking about um, nuclear meltdowns and uh, nuclear disarmament and kind of the danger that nuclear arms pose, um, even when they're just sitting unattended, like the possibility for human error or machine error leading to a giant uh, nuclear apocalypse. The, 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 the possibility for that was really distressingly high. Sure. So that's what I ended up doing my final project on was how we're all going to definitely die um, from nuclear arms if we don't disarm them. Um, but more recently, and then, well, then the one thing that we kind of also touched on was global overpopulation. And to me, it, it was, it was kind of this hilarious paradox of a, of a problem because it was the one giant problem for which all of the other problems were solutions um, in a really kind of morbid, <laughs> recursive right. way. Um, and, uh, but it also seemed to be the one that was actually most affecting us immediately. I mean... Well, I mean, you were an undergrad uh, at Stanford, 
you lived in Palo Alto, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, I did. I lived on campus. So overcrowding was assuredly <laughs> a problem. Right, and it was really obvious to me. But coming from New Mexico, where you can drive for hours and not see a single building, mm-hmm. and then going moving to California, where I there were, I couldn't, no matter how many hours I drove in any direction, I couldn't get to a single place where I couldn't find a telephone pole or a house or another car or people. And that was that was surprisingly disarming for me when I first went there as a freshman, mm-hmm. just that presence of people everywhere. I eventually got used to it, but at first it was just like, ah, there are a lot of people on this planet. And of course that's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of an illusion because people tend to be clustered in these really sure. intense little uh, pockets of cities and whatnot. Um, but yeah, basically by the time I graduated, I was, uh, that was kind of this thing. It was like the, the global overpopulation. I had also, done a different class where we'd kind of demonstrated that it's kind of fundamentally unsolvable because the the desires of the individual, which is to make more people, and the desires of the entire global population, which is to not make people, are at odds, and the individual is always going to win because we are all individuals making up the giant global population. Right. So it's just kind of an interesting problem that I was thinking of, but it didn't seem... It didn't seem unsolvable to me. It seemed like we were going to have to put in a lot of really interesting thought into not how to curb the population because uh, that just seems, again, it seemed like an impossible task given how people work. Um, But into into engineering new ways to make the planet able to sustain more people. And I I couldn't see why we couldn't do that um, if you apply the same kind of brilliant thinking and engineering that has gone through, I mean, throughout history. I mean, there've been so many huge problems that we managed to solve. Even just the fact that we can build skyscrapers, I mean, compared to what we could build several thousand years ago, um, shows you what people are able to come up with when they, when they combine their knowledge and whatnot. And I can, I was starting to envision all kinds of like vertical gardening spaces. Yeah. That's 2012, Huddy Rye. What is 20? That was 2012, Huddy Rye. Sorry. That was a very long, a long little delve into 2012, Huddy Rye. 2016, Huddy Rye still thinks there are all kinds of interesting global issues going on. But um, recently what I've gotten really into is artificial intelligence and uh, space exploration. Okay. I'm going to put a little shout out here to a website called Wait But Why, written by the very hilarious and brilliant Tim Urban. Um, But he writes about a lot of kind of issues with science and technology uh, that people don't necessarily know that much about. It's kind of maybe on our radar as like a thing that exists, but we don't really understand how they work or why. And I think artificial intelligence is a huge one of those. Everyone kind of thinks of artificial intelligence and a lot of people think of like HAL from 2001 Space Odyssey or just like many other uh, super horrible robots from many renditions of sci-fi and I mean in books and comics and movies and everything but artificial intelligence is one of those kind of you know it's kind of one of those fantasy buzzwords you hear it and you don't really think of it as a real thing that affects you in real life it, aside from like trying to get Siri to actually understand what you're saying right um, that's how artificial intelligence affects most people but if you really start reading uh, reading up on kind of what's going on in artificial superintelligence and where we're headed. Mm-hmm. It's really one of the most fascinating and immediately important topics in the world right now. There, there are a lot of there, there are a lot of opinions on either side of how that's going to go, but no matter where you fall on the spectrum, it is like a vitally important issue and of immediate importance to every single person on the planet because there are a lot of experts thinking that um, if we don't if we don't proceed with caution when it comes to developing artificial superintelligence, um, we're probably going to drive ourselves extinct, possibly the entire planet and solar system extinct um, within a pretty short time frame, like in the next hundred years. Like as <laughs> um, in, as in gray goo, super intelligent nanites consume all organic. Yeah. Mass yeah. Sort of the gray goo is, I mean, the gray goo is kind of a, is an example of where something can go wrong. And for anyone who's not familiar with it, the gray goo is the concept of, self-replicating nanobots that don't turn off when they're supposed Mm -hmm. to. And pretty soon they have turned the entire planet into a bunch of nanobots. Um, Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of one of the doomsday scenarios. It's not one that people are taking necessarily super seriously. It's more the conflict between what an artificial super intelligence would have as its goal and what we would have as our goals. And there's no reason to believe unless it's specifically programmed that way, that the goal of a, 
of an artificial intelligence would in any way be in line with what we want as humans, right. namely like to stay alive <laughs> and and do what we want to do. Computers by nature, you know, have a they have their own set of things that they're trying to achieve. And if um, I, there was some example um, in a book where, um, you know, for example, if this is a silly example, but imagine that a computer one job is to make lots and lots of paper clips. And if it gets intelligent enough, um, it's going basically we as humans have a bunch of atoms that could very easily be used to make paper clips, you know, and sure. there's no, and, and it's a computer. It's not like, there's not really any clear right or wrong. Like there's no reason for it to think it's wrong to kill everyone on the planet in order to make paper clips. Like it's just trying to achieve its goal, right? <laughs> That's what we do. I mean, we bulldoze anthills all the time in order to make buildings and we don't think twice about what the ants think about that. Um, and so now we're at the position of the ants and the supercomputers are, are us. And, and there's all this like, how do we make a supercomputer that's not going to kill us all? And the answer is no one has any idea. <laughs> do you have any, do you have any thoughts on, on, on the apocalypse from your end, Saib Simran? Um, not quite so eloquently. That was, <laughs> I don't know if I can It was very long winded. Yeah. And a lot of these opinions are the same. I mean, you know, we have, you know, we grew up together and I've been hearing how you ride talk about these opinions my whole, well, not, not my whole life. You haven't been a, Apocalypse fan. When I was one year old, I was shaking my fist at the artificial super intelligence. Um, yeah, she she sat me down and made me read the Wait But Why article on artificial intelligence. I think a year or two ago, and that was it's pretty mind boggling. If you sit down and read it, it's long, but it's super interesting. So something that's been happening, something that we've been talking about a lot at work is so I, I live in Mountain View, and as a result, I see the the Google self-driving cars all the time, mm -hmm. right? Those are just, I see like two or three of them a day. Um, yeah. And I'm always, I'm always curious about like the, the ethics chips that are built into those things, right? Because like, mm -hmm. you know, like how, how, how is a car to make a decision between, oh, you know, I see ahead, there is this school bus full of children and we're coming around a very tight, you know, a very tight turn and they might run us off the road. But if we direct ourselves towards the bus, we'll kill everyone. So probably it makes the most sense to kill only the driver, you know, like it's, yeah, it's all these, um, that's interesting these trolley paradoxes, right. That are built into these, these devices. Mm -hmm. And then right. And of course we to go ahead. You're right. Oh, no, I was going to say, I mean, this is the kind of thing that we love to talk circles around in, in ethics classes and whatnot, and these huge philosophical discussions about, yeah, all of, the, all of those paradoxes about killing one person versus killing multiple people, and it's the kind of thing that is not going to be an issue for computers at all. They're going to have the system for just a program system for making these decisions, and then just make them, and it's not a, it's not a problem. The solution and, is kill all yeah. the people. <laughs> I figured it out. Yeah, so I mean, I have a lot of yeah, I mean, we'll see where it goes. It's exciting how little we know about it. I'm not convinced that the computers will kill us all. I'm also not convinced that they won't kill us all. I'm definitely convinced that it's more complicated than than we think. Um and I don't remember who said this, but there's some hilarious rule where like um I think it was in reference to time where like, it'll take more time than you think, even taking into account the fact that it'll take more time than you think. Um, where, and I see that with this as well. It's like, we know that we don't know very much, but no matter how little we think we know, we know less than that. And like, it will surprise us no matter what, how different it all turns out to be. That's like the sure. one thing I'm convinced is that we, we just have no idea what's coming and makes good fiction fodder for sure. Sure. So let's bring it back to the show a little bit, because I want to talk. I want to talk more uh, about the nuts and bolts of production. So, so both of you mm -hmm. are in Española or Santa Fe. Uh, both. both. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, producing the show out of the Santa Fe metro area. Um, yes. It, it it seems like from the the bios of the actors that a lot of them are from like. Uh, Santa Fe College of Art, right, and Albuquer and some some professional VO people from Albuquerque. Like I think that's mm -hmm. where you got uh, Luis Fernando Gonzalez, who plays um, uh, President Tank, right? Yep. Yep. Um, okay. Cool. I'm trying to cram all of this into my head at once. <laughs> how how did you how did you acquire that cast? What is the what does production look like? Are the two of you in the same room making each other laugh during recording? Like what is it? How does it work? <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
we're pretty good at staying professional when there are other people in the room, okay. but as soon as they leave, <laughs> there's laughter. Um, I don't know. Yeah. They're all pretty funny, too. That's true. That's true. We have a pretty funny crew. So when we first started this whole project, we put out a casting call. We had no idea where one puts out casting calls. We just sort of went to the internet um, and asked for people to send us submissions. And we asked for everyone to send us Tank's first uh, little intro monologue where he's talking about the the situation the very beginning in the of bunker. episode one yeah first line episode one and we we were kind of fingers crossed like okay we needed seven people for episode one mm-hmm. and we were just hoping that we got seven people to uh, to audition for us because you know if we had seven people audition we could cast them and that would be fine um, we had I think three hundred and fifteen or something people audition just from which like was, Santa Fe yeah. ABQ just from like yep, that wow just local yeah that was from we put casting calls out to a well we put casting calls out to schools that had acting departments and then to a couple like uh the film the film board and yeah the response was amazing so we had a a lot of people to pick you know the actors we really really wanted which was awesome which was exciting because it meant we could cast the characters that we that we wanted it wasn't just the seven people who happened to audition for us that that was that was an exciting start to the whole process. <laughs> how how likely is it? Do you think you can you can steal George R R Martin away from his art house theater and get him into the studio? I for a I was I was wondering that actually. Um, d- don't think it hasn't crossed my mind. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> we will find I don't out. I think I've ever heard him uh, speak. Speaking does of, he have a good voice? Does he have like a? I have. He does. I have heard him speak. Yeah. I don't. Huh. I, I, I can't remember his voice off the top of my head, so maybe it's not the most exciting voice in the world. Just but corner him with like a Zoom really recorder matter. outside the cocktail and see if you exactly. can just snag him. <laughs> just say, oh no, uh, the carnivorous plant. And that'll, that'll, that'll well, we, we have friends who have friends who have friends, <laughs> so maybe we can get him down here. This is the beauty of living in a small town. Sure. Yeah. No, but speaking of George R. R. Martin and his crazy art project, I mean, that's another... Uh, that crazy art project, Meow Wolf, um, is a really, really amazing crazy art project. And um, I haven't told Meow Wolf about this yet, but we would I would definitely have my sights set on a collaboration with them, like some kind of immersive theater piece can, in their can you crazy tell us, multidimensional house. Yeah, what is what is Meow Wolf? Because I remember Emma Shujarko from Wolf 359, I think, tweeted about it. Like she and her partner went to go oh, see yeah. it. Um, but I don't, I don't really know anything about it. It's the coolest thing ever, and it's the kind of thing where everyone who sees it runs out of it like, that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And then they try and tell their friends, and their friends are like, yeah, 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 that sounds cool. And they're like, no, you don't understand. It's the coolest thing. But no one believes them until they actually go and see it themselves, at which point they're like, that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Uh, it's basically, so Meow Wolf is an art collective in Santa Fe, and they, um, they'd done a lot of kind of installation art pieces. They'd grown from a smaller thing, but then... Recently, they've done this huge project called The House of Eternal Return, okay. where um, George R. R. Martin basically bought the old abandoned bowling alley that had been sitting unused in Santa Fe for many years um, and gave it to Meow Wolf to turn into this, what I can only describe as like a fantasy amazing children's museum for adults. Okay. Um, it's this multi-dimensional playground. Um, the, the premise is you go into this kind of Victorian house, and I don't want to give too much away okay. because I think everyone should just go to Santa Fe and do this thing. Let me see how so far cool. we are from Santa Fe. Um, <laughs> that's not too far. I've driven from Mountain View many times. Okay. Um, but yeah, so you kind of go into this Victorian house, um, and I mean, it's everything is elaborately set up. I mean, there's furniture, there's like paper strewn all over all over the. All over the desks, there's like paintings that are in progress. You have, you, there are paintbrushes with paint on them. I mean, you can contribute to the painting. You can read through all the journals and all the books and all the stuff. So you get this. It's kind of a, a part immersive storytelling in a, again, a cool nonlinear way. Okay. And then throughout the house, there are various kind of portals into this other dimension. Um, so you go through and you end up in this like crazy wonderland with all these just kind of different areas and realms where there's like this whole like space area and there's this forest of mushrooms and there's this uh giant skeleton that if you bang on the skeleton ribs it like makes sound and you so the whole thing is like a i mean it's just it's just really cool but it's also very tactile like you get to play with everything and you get to touch things and you get to smash things and you get to 
you know, it's it's not like a do not touch kind of museum, which is really fun. So it's kind of part inst art installation, part immersive storytelling, part uh, a part uh, concert venue. They also do concerts there, which is by far the coolest concert venue I've ever seen. Um, part, I don't know, part awesome. Uh, so yeah, that's really cool. I think it, there's a lot of um, potential for immersive theater in that space, which I don't know. I think they might have plans to do some of that as well. Um, but if they don't, I mean, yeah, you could do some incredible immersive theater. I mean, it there, also so, really uh, sounds like there are some astonishing Foley opportunities in a house like that, too. Just so oh many yeah, things maybe. to like, hit with sticks and record. <laughs> this opened three yeah. days before, after I left for Oregon, hmm. so I haven't been there yet. Okay. And oh, I'm I forgot that. And I'm super excited for when I go back in August because I don't, every, my entire, my Facebook is just covered in meow wolf posts about again everyone's like oh my god it's the coolest thing i've ever seen sure. and I'm like but guys i'm not there stop yeah so what what are you listening to lately like what what has been inspiring you in this medium um i would have to say like the first show that i that i found after we started i mean after we started radiation world um not, I mean, just the first show that I found that I was like, oh my God, these people are our people because mm -hmm. they're doing exactly what we're doing uh, was The Bunker. Okay. And um, yeah, <laughs> I really love The Bunker. And if you, if I mean, if you listen to all of Radiation World or like at least season one of Radiation World and you listen to all of The Bunker, it'll, it will not be that hard to understand why we love The Bunker mm -hmm. because uh, as I was listening to it, I kept running up on these things where I was like, oh, they did the same thing that we did in episode whatever. And then I was like, oh, and that idea, I was planning to put that in episode seven, but they already did it in the bunker. Like sure. there were so many kind of parallel things going on that, um, in a, a way I was like, dang it. Like, yeah, there were so many similar ideas that I was like, there's some kind of weird mind meld going on here. But I mean, of course they're, they're very different, distinct shows. Um, but I, I have to say, I really do just love that whole style of the bunker with their, post-apocalyptic comedy i mean that's what we're doing as well um one that we definitely both really love is wooden overcoats mm -hmm. um that's just just so funny i mean I've, I've been kind of listening to a lot of things that are a little more out not outdated but you know have been put out a few years ago now because i'm kind of catching up on sure. um there's a lot some listening that we there weren't is. around for i know there's so much and the more um what i've kind of found with the whole audio drama world and like the american audio drama community in particular is like it's a little bit um, like when we first kind of showed up and like wanted to find more things to listen to. It was like a little hard at first yeah. to really know where to go or what to listen to. And I mean, that's why, I mean, Radio Drum Revival and like the Sonic Society and stuff are great because they kind of, uh, you know, that's a good way to just start finding out what's being made and sure. features and shows. But it's still kind of a, a slow process, right? Because you have to like listen to one thing and then it kind of turns you on to something yeah. else. So I feel like it's this slow like finding the you're like unearthing the whole treasure trove and the more you listen to the more you realize how much there more there is to listen to um which is both exciting and terrifying because you're like oh god i want to listen to everything yeah. and there's so much more to go we're so behind um, yeah but we recently found we're alive oh, i was gonna say we recently found we're alive which we hadn't heard before sure. and i know that's several years old now but we're really enjoying that so yeah i think yeah. i think uh in the maybe in the last 10 years Every American radio dramatist that has started out has kind of thought themselves to be alone in the wilderness. I definitely felt mm. that way when I started making radio yeah. drama in like 2006. I thought like, oh, this is a dead medium. Who's going to care? You know, and it was around that time <laughs> that I started listening to Radio Drama Revival. I've only been, you know, I've only been the host for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it was around then that I started listening to RDR. Uh, and I, I still like, I, I think, I think. What I'm hoping to do with this podcast is make it so that people that are producing radio drama uh, spend less time in the wilderness, like spend less time yeah. feeling alone, like they're producing this in obscurity and and get into the the production community that much faster. That's my hope. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's I think that's what that's what it's doing. I mean, I think that's that's what it's great for. I mean, I would have I would have loved to see a kind of centralized like what I, okay, was what I love about Radio Drama Revival and Sonic Society again is that they you can listen to these things and hear all these amazing shows and uh hear these interviews and um 
I mean, you get introduced to a lot of different things, but you're still kind of at the beck and call of whatever's on the show at the given time. Right. Um, and I, what I haven't found yet is kind of like a, just a, an easily searchable, this is the, or an easily uh, navigatable, like centralized place online where you can just find more, you know, find more things like this or find more audio drama. And I'm kind of frustrated with the way that iTunes works and with a lot how a lot of podcasters work where there there is no section for us. And mm-hmm. I think this is a a thing that so many audio drama people struggle with is like, what category do you put yourself in? I know that I mean like we're under comedy and something else because I mean ours happens to be a comedy, but I mean do you go under arts and entertainment? Do you go under you know, it's just like there is no audio drama category, which makes it really hard to like find it. I have one more question for you. Okay. Uh, it's a doozy. I'm ready. Okay. How are the green chili cheese croissants at Chocolate Maven? That's Fantastic. So I I, 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 I thought it was really really sweet because that's your that's your family's bakery, right? It is. Yeah. I, I thought it was really sweet that they supported the production. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. We I mean, there's no way we would have been able to pull this off. I mean, without without the whole family involvement, um, just because. It's not as though we had large amounts of cash to blow on this thing. And that's one thing about um, Radiation World and our company is that we pay every actor and every artist who works on the show. That's one of our kind of core philosophies, um, which we love. And I absolutely love paying actors, but it does raise the production cost a lot um, because, you know, and I know um, and I, I, I don't like that actors always work for free. I don't like that writers always work for mm-hmm. free. I don't like that artists everywhere always work for free just because they love what they do. Um, I don't think that loving what you do is really and counts enough. as a viable currency. Right. Um, you can't, yeah, you can't use that in the world. And just, we, we all put in the same amount of time and effort into creating art as anyone does in their job. And um, so we're really committed to kind of recognizing that um, by, by paying all our actors. Um, but it does mean that we definitely need a lot of, a lot of help and a lot of support, Mm -hmm. um, to be able to make that happen. So thank God for the chocolate maven. Definitely. (laughs) Well, I I think it also doesn't hurt to have, um, like a fully staffed craft services table. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. That's fantastic. Being able to just be like, what are we going to feed them today? How about these? (laughs) I understand the power of a theater company that runs on baked goods. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. our fair city yeah. worked very much yeah. the same way like we would meet for right you know everyone got a stipend but it wasn't much of a stipend but it was important that we received it right to mm-hmm. to show that everyone was important and that everyone's contributions were valued but there still wasn't a ton of money to go around especially because there were so many of us um and so it was really important um for the five-person writer team uh is that every time we sat down we before we started working together each each week, we would all have dinner together. We would all break bread together. Mm. Uh, and oh, that kind nice. of softened the blow of whatever critiques were thrown down. It, it kind of functioned to knit us together into, into yeah. a writing family. It's really Food nice to- is one of those magical things in life, I would say. It's really sweet to see that, you know, this, this, this family affair also begins with, <laughs> with food. Yes. Always. Everything begins with food for us. (laughs) Everything. (laughs) Well, Saib Simran Kulsa, howdy right. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was an absolute Ah, thank you so much. Yeah, Yeah, we had a lot of fun. Oh. (laughs) If you want to support Radiation World, they've got a Patreon page over at, you guessed it, patreon.com slash radiationworld. If you liked what you heard today, give them a few dollars. In other fundraising news, Ryan Estrada's Kickstarter for Big Data got funded. Hooray! Nice work, all y'all. One of these days, I'll get Ryan on the show, and we can talk about that production and all of its incredible guest stars. Let's see. Life update. Last weekend, I had the time of my life at the Our Fair City Season 7 launch party. I flew out to Chicago, I got about a bajillion hugs from the people I missed there, and I took a bunch of photos. You can check all of that out on Twitter. I'm at Radiodrama. You can also follow Our Fair City, they're at OFC Radio, and they recently began a Patreon campaign. You can support them at patreon.com slash heartlifenfp. 
Finally, in fundraising news, the lovely team behind Wooden Overcoats, the British podcast sitcom about rival funeral directors on a channel island, is seeking donations on Kickstarter for their second season. I'll put that link in the show notes. All right, that's all the news that's fit to print, and now it's time for credits. That noise you hear underneath my words isn't the approach of a deadly attack robot. It's DJ Stranger Danger, and he's the man providing the music you hear right now. You can follow him on SoundCloud, or just travel around Oakland and follow the sound of the thumping. Our producer is Matthew Boudreaux, who constructed a bunker deep beneath his buffalo home with the help of his wife and son. Well, alright, it's not a bunker, it's a recording studio, but if my favorite Belgian beer house and freak shop closed down, I'd want to descend into the basement and never leave. Rest in peace, Blue Monk of Buffalo, New York. Our researchers are Heather Cohen and Monique Boudreaux, who every night clamber into a battered old jeep, load themselves down with knives, laser rifles, anti-personnel mines, more water than they need, and a nail file, and they always come back with reams and reams of old files, military-grade rations, and the occasional goat. Our executive producer lives atop a mountain of scrap, the remnants of a hundred skyscrapers pressed into a single, super-dense city block. Men call it the Iron Mountain. They call him the Iron King, Fred Greenhouse. Thank you for listening to Radio Drama Revival. I'm David Reinstrom, and I'm telling you stories. Trust me. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send him my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.